this is Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to uh, part two of a two-part podcast of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 650, uh, which is kind of an important number, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding and always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So if you did not listen to last week's podcast, I would invite you to really get the full impact of the topic to go back and listen to last week's mm-hmm. first. Even though what we'll start on today, it's it's relevant going forward. So if you don't want to go back, you don't have to. But like Todd said, it is um, it gives you kind of the why we started this conversation in the first place. And Kathy and I, um, we talked, to, we did a few things at the beginning of the show for like literally the first 20 minutes. And if you want to skip over that, just go to the timestamp of the show and you can start in the middle. You, you always have a frowny face. I know, because you're always telling people to skip things. If people are here for the topic at hand, especially if we're inviting parents to invite their teenagers, yeah, um, we, it might, yeah, I'm all about like, why am I here? I know. Well, and it's interesting because I think this would be a discussion about what our words do and why we drive people to fast forward through the show. Mm. Like you, it's because I think if people want to fast forward, they can do that without... My prompt. Yeah. Like, why are you telling them to miss part of the show? Well, it's because if they're there to listen to us talking talk about relational abuse and they don't even know that we timestamp it, I just want to make sure they know that. Now, can they do that without my prompt? Probably. Maybe. But I just, because, you know, we have these kind of fun talks at the beginning and then Todd's like, fast forward, don't listen to it. I'm like, that's, why are we even doing it then? You know, I was just thinking about something funny that, um, you know how people will say things like, oh, I've gotten a bunch of texts or tweets or emails about this thing and now I'm going to talk about it. But you know, they really didn't get texts and tweets and emails about it. They just want to talk about it because I just want to talk about the fact that I'm always drinking out of this this mug here that says ZPR. It's called a camper mug. And I was, you know, I was just kind of laughing because someone would totally say something like, oh, people have been asking me, where did you get that mug? Mm -hmm. And now I want to share Mm -hmm. that I got it from us. That's right. We created it. I think we created this last year. Yeah. Yeah, because it was for our 10-year anniversary. It's in our store if anybody wants to buy one. Well, that's what I was going to say. For people listening, you can't see it. But I use this thing every day. Yeah. And so even, you know, now I'm directing them away from our store when I say this, but even if you don't want ours, like camper mugs are awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like why is anybody drinking out of coffee mugs anymore? And I get the joy of a coffee mug too, if you're going to drink it right away, like if you're at a coffee shop, but dude, I put coffee in here like how long ago? Two hours ago? It's hot. hot. Yeah. So if you want this. A thermos is really bulky. Right? So this is yeah. like a perfect like a little guy. solution to that problem. Okay. So before we get going, I want to read you a quote and I want you to see what you think about this. Alan Watts, Ooh, like one that. of your favorite guys. Trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. Hmm. Trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. Interesting. So if I said, Kathy, how would you define yourself? I think you'd do a pretty good job. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because what does that mean to find myself? Do I define myself as a, a mother, as a partner, as a worker, as a writer? Like, aren't those like out external? Well, and even like def- if somebody's like, if somebody's like, uh, you know, introduce yourself or what are you all about? And I say, oh, my name's Todd Adams. Like, what is Todd Adams? Those are letters in an alphabet, like that, does that encapsulate who I am? Or I'm a father and uh, a husband, like that, that doesn't encapsulate me. 
Totally. It's totally like I talk about this in my book, Zen Parenting, where I'm talking about how when you're trying to define Zen, you lose the meaning of Zen, just like in the first chapter of the Tao. You know, as soon as you speak of the Tao, it loses its meaning. As soon as you try and talk about who you are, because everything is like a sense of feeling, like this is who I am. Like, do you guys feel like with your kids that they have a feeling in your body? Like when you think about them or say their name, there's this feeling that you get. And I'm not talking about you're annoyed at them for that day. I'm not talking about a momentary, they just piss you off thing. I'm talking about like who they are, you can feel it. And sometimes Todd and I will have these moments where we'll be talking about the girls and it's like, not only do I feel them, but who they are now at 18, almost 19, 17 and 14, it's who they were when they were little. Mm -hmm. Like you feel the same energy. It's not like they they are who they are yeah. and you and even though they look different act different their voice isn't the same it's this do you know what i mean todd or am i getting too deep you're i believe that you know what you're talking about <laughs> but i don't know what you're talking about right now great well, i mean i have a thought right about you know my 17 year old and i'll instantly go back to when they were two and there's a thought there but okay I, so I let's play a quick game sure okay we'll do this and then we'll move on sure people can fast forward <laughs> so put your hand on your heart close your eyes Okay. So just try and, you know, just be present. Do you hear my voice? Mm-hmm. You know, take a deep breath. And now I'm going to say JC. Mm-hmm. What do you feel when I say JC? Like you, I know you can't describe it, but do you feel like when you hear her name, don't you feel her? So <laughs> feelings are things that happen inside the body. Correct. I have thoughts. Okay. So when you're like, do you feel JC when I when you say her name? I don't. Like I could have made something up just now saying, oh, I have warmth in my chest. Right, right, right. But I literally don't have warmth in my chest. I have thoughts of joy. I have thoughts of love and compassion. And you see her face yeah. and all that. Okay. But I believe you that you right. do have a feeling. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Like I feel like we should... We probably talked about this a million times on the show. The difference between feeling and an emotion. For me, an emotion is a way to describe something. Mm-hmm. A feeling is a body sensation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's that. I'm sure a lot of other people would uh, disagree with those definitions. But when I'm like, "How are you feeling?" Like I'm, I'm usually starting out. Mm-hmm. If I'm answering authentically, body sensations. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling constriction in my chest or my jaw, or I feel this openness to the world. Um, and that happens through just like some, I feel spaciousness in my chest. Um, when I'd be like, well, what's your emotional state or what are your emotions? I'd be like joy, happiness. So you think emotion is the descriptive word and you think feeling is the body Body sensation. Although we interchange those terms all the time. Well, and I was going to say, um, or I do in the part, um, when I write about emotions and feelings, when I teach them, I have gone down that rabbit hole of the difference between emotions and feelings. And it's so intricate Mm -hmm. and it's so, and, and for some who study it, like the only thing they do, they'd be like, no, it's not. It's maybe it's the definition you just gave, but I find it to be not helpful when teaching. You Does know, that make sense? Well, you know what also isn't helpful? What? When people, like, um, I don't know who I was with, but they're, I, I was in this kind of like reflective place and they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, what does that mean, doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what does doing mean? I think a more specific use of language would be like, how are you feeling? Or what thoughts do you currently have? But how are you doing? I mean, I know like we always ask how we're doing. Right. But it's, it's really not a specific enough question like mm-hmm. how am i 
what am I doing would be a good way to phrase mm-hmm. that question. But how am I doing, I would say, should get interpreted as how are you feeling today? Correct. Or something like that. Well, and I think because our society um, is very focused on you are good and fine if you are productive, mm-hmm. then that's kind of maybe where that comes from. Right. Like we, we perceive... Um, we believe that productivity, moving forward, getting through it, moving on, is a demonstration of health. <laughs> when really sometimes the best thing to be healthy is to stop, relax, take it in, breathe. But that's not the way our society views health. Well, and add to that, like, how often do we say to somebody, how you doing or how you feeling? And how often are we really willing to hear an honest answer? What we want to hear is fine. What we want to hear is fine, mm-hmm. so I can tell you about whatever it is that I want to tell you. Correct. Or if it's our children, we want to hear fine, so we can be like, whew, okay, yeah. good. I can move on with my day. You told me you're fine. Um, because if our kids say, and you know, you and I have this experience too, when we, you know, when we notice one of our kids may be feeling off and we're like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm really struggling with this. We get the feeling in our body of our, at least I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for you. Um, like my heart gets constricted. I get worried. My stomach Mm -hmm. gets concerned. So nobody loves to hear that, Mm -hmm. but the ability to, instead of deflect it or say, no, you're fine. Or, but what do you mean? You, uh, you know, you just got a new bike. Yeah. What, why could you be, you know, like we try and talk them out of it because we don't want to feel it. Yeah. And what, what I think we should do, or I should do as a parent is create the space to ask the question and be ready for any answer. Right. But most of the time in our society, cause I'm too busy. I, I don't have time to listen to how anybody else is feeling. And I'm saying this kind of like tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. but that's a big ask. It is. Well, we say it all the time. If we could understand that it really isn't our job to fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell my social work students this all the time, and it's always a surprise for every every class is a surprise because what they think they're supposed to do as clinicians and therapists is have answers for people and know what they'll say. Well, what if, uh, you know, what if my client says this and I don't know what to say? I'm like, you don't need to say anything. Mm You are there to listen, reflect, help them organize, help them see things differently. You are not there to have a solution. Mm-hmm. You are not there. That's their work. Yeah. You don't want to be telling people what to do. You What you do is you help them find their answers, and it's a lot more of a nuanced, um, you have to be able to sit back and allow a lot to come forward sure. so then that they can begin to organize all these pieces. Yeah. And as parents, even though obviously we're not trained, you know, parents aren't always trained as clinicians, but when our children are telling us something that's painful or hard, we don't have to have a solution. Sure. We just have to listen and and empathize and take a minute and sit down and validate. Yeah. That's what they're looking for. Well, and, you know, one of the terms that I've been using more and more often as I get older is creating the space. Right. And some people are like, what do you mean create space? Exactly what you just said to me means creating space. Right. And because that, not to me, Todd, because you and I use that language all the time, but it can be jargony, Mm -hmm. create space. So What's a non-jargony way of creating um, space? I think be present for what they're saying, to be less reactive to what they're saying, to be Mm open-minded and Mm open-hearted to what they're saying, to not become defensive and be blocked, um, to have a little more of a beginner's mind rather than thinking you understand everything. Yeah. but, you know, again, beginner's mind might be considered jargony too. I don't sure. know. I don't know. Less jargon, the better. Less jargon. That's kind of, I feel like in the position you and I are in as podcasters, and even the position we're in, because you work with men, 
I work, tend to work with men, women and we are also parents, is the more real language we can use, the more people feel, okay, I can access that. Mm. But if we start to throw a bunch of jargon at them, which a lot of unhealthy relationships and abusive environments tend to do because a lot of times we throw language, see how I just like veered off into this culthood again? They do that to make the person feel special. Like we understand this language. We have a different way of communicating this. We call it this. And so you only belong if you understand what this means. And we do that with food and we do that with clothes. Like we dress this way. We only eat this. We only, and it's a way of making people feel special, but it's not always helpful. Okay. Sorry. I veered off into a path. So. This is how we're going to start this conversation. You know, as Todd said last week, we talked about, and how weird, we're wearing the same clothes we were wearing last week. Imagine that. Isn't that crazy? Um, So last week we talked about Phoenix Rising, Evan Rachel Wood's story about um, Marilyn Manson, and also just about understanding abuse, um, trauma, how and how someone can be susceptible to these kind of abusive experiences. So- What they do a nice job with in the documentary is using some language so people have a better understanding. And I want to go over these words, Todd, so we have an understanding of what they mean. So let's start with the first one. So real quick, because I think we talked about this last week. The reason that I think that we want to bring this up is that so it's hard to notice it unless you're aware that it's something that happens. It's, that it exists, that so, it's a thing. So the reason we're coming up with these, ter- not coming up, explaining these terms, and most of the terms are not, I mean, I've heard all these words before, but not used through the lens of uh, abuse or cultish behavior. Right. So this is, it was all new to me. As a result, we'll see in the documentary, the idea of grooming, I think of grooming your dog. Oh, interesting. So so what, we want to empower our listeners to know what these words mean so that they can teach themselves and the people they love that this is something that abusers might do. Correct. And we can also look at our own history and see when was I susceptible to these things? Because I think most of us, maybe not all of us got into a true cult or maybe we weren't in an abusive relationship, but most of us have had experiences where we're like, oh, I know what that is. I remember that. Um, And you know, we may have gotten involved or gotten out quickly. Who knows? It's different for everybody. The first one, like Todd said, is grooming. So it's when somebody builds um, a relationship, trust, emotional connection um, in an effort to eventually manipulate, exploit, abuse them. So we talk about grooming a lot when we're talking about um, exploiting children because it would be like an adult who is like going to befriend a child and be like, I'll bring you, like Larry Nasser. Mm-hmm. He not only had access to children, but their coaches were really hard on them. And so he would be like, no, take a break. It's okay. Or he would sneak them candy Mm -hmm. because they weren't supposed to eat that. And he would do things to make them think he was on their side. He would, he would, you know, react or be available to them in a way that other people weren't. And so it's a grooming behavior, but this also happens with adults. You know, partners do this. This is not just a children thing. It's like someone who's like, I, you know, yep, those people don't get you, but I see you, or I find you to be really interesting or special, or tell me all of your stories and I will sit and listen. There is often, not everybody who does that is grooming. Like sometimes that's, really a healthy relationship. Well, I was about to say, like part one of this definition 
when someone builds a relationship, trust and emotional connection with someone. Like that's called being in a relationship. It's right. the second half. So they can manipulate, exploit yes, and abuse them. Yes. So oftentimes with grooming, it's hindsight. Yeah. It's wow, look at how much I trusted so, this like, person. So like how do you know? <laughs> it's so interesting. How, because when I when you and I first started dating, I'm sure I wanted to build a relationship and have trust and emotional connection with you. Right. Which is the first part of this definition. It's not until later on do you know that there's manipulation. Right. Well, it's very nuanced. I think sometimes at the beginning of a relationship with someone, there are red flags. And it's going to be different. Like an adult who is undermining other adults and acting like a child to gain your trust. Mm-hmm. That that and, it, and again, children should not be asked to figure this out. I'm just trying to give an example of like, there are red flags where it's like, oh, they're kind of ripping on all the other adults and that isn't really mature, appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids kids don't know that, you yeah. know, and that's why this is not, but, but for us, you know, as adults to see somebody kind of doing somersaults to get our attention, yeah maybe going over the top with it or trying to make us like saying you're the most interesting person I've ever seen, or you're the only one I want to listen to. It might be. And and again, now we're veering a little into love bombing, but there are some red flags where we just don't feel super safe. And my personal, uh, I remember I was like, I don't know, maybe seventh grade and I hurt my knee. So in football practice, I wasn't allowed to practice, so I'd be on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And there was this man who was a referee for a lot of our games, and he used to hang out uh, with the team Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I remember he like he would like untie my shoe, like do these small nuanced kid like things, kid like behavior, and he also said things that made me feel special and. It did not take long for my dad to find out about this, and he had a conversation with this man, and the mm. man wasn't to be found at practice after that. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And so it's just, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking of my own experience mm-hmm. of, you know, thank goodness I had a dad who was around enough to notice that this was inappropriate. Well, and, you know, one of my experiences was when I was older, when I was 19 and I was at college and I was changing my major and there was an advisor who was kind of helping me with the process and was one of the only people who would. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of people who were like, it, it was, they were just too busy or it, and he was like willing to help me like pick my classes. This is way before we could do things online. So yeah. everything had to be done with another, you know, adult human. And I remember the first time we finished up the process and I was like, okay, we figured it out. And he gave me a hug Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, like I'm 19 years old, but I was like, okay, you know, and then, (laughs) um, I was, you know, no big deal. I don't even think I said anything to my roommates. This makes me really uncomfortable. Um, and then the next time I had to meet with him, we finished something that wasn't difficult. Like I just had to get something signed off on because I wasn't going to be doing this certain internship anymore. And then he gave me a hug again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mm. um... Warning sign. Yeah. Like the first time wasn't comfortable, but I was like, wow, we just kind of went through the ringer. And then I was like, okay, I don't think giving your student a hug, and and especially you're in their office with the door closed. And and that was the extent of it. And I got another advisor because like I said, I was shifting. But I remember being like, uh... I don't, I think, That's not great. It, I think it was Mike Domish who is one of our friends and he, I think was a swim coach Yeah, and uh, for, I think women or for girls. 
and I'm like, well, what do you do? Like when your 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 um, athlete wins a race, do you give her a hug? And he's like, absolutely not. Right. Like he like very clearly set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. When it's so, it's whenever you're working with children, you need to be so cautious. And this is really nuanced because I can see, like I have had students before who as, you know, as, as their teacher, especially because of the things we talk about in my classes and some of the challenges that they've faced where I have hugged a student before, Mm -hmm. but it's under a very different context. Mm -hmm. Like this is not, this is why this is so nuanced in that there's a lot of important, especially when they're graduating and stuff like that, you know, like I'm just thinking about the, this is why sense of self and feeling your own body and understanding red flags. It, when I say understanding, not up here internally, where you're like, "Ooh, something's off there," because not every behavior feels the same. Well, I just I picked up JC and her girlfriends, my college student who's going to be 19. I took them, all, her and all her friends, out to dinner, and I gave them all a hug. I'm like, should I have just given them a hug? Mm-hmm. Like, because I kind of know them, but I don't know them. So it's just interesting. It is. And, you know, asking first, which yeah. you're pretty good at. I think I did yeah. ask for a hug. I yeah. think so. Yeah. But you weren't like, give me a hug. No. Yeah. No. That's Because that's the difference is, do you need it? Right. Or does this person, you know, do you care about this person and this is a relationship you, that you're building? so funny because I don't know. I think I like opened up my arms. I, I think it was in a, not inappropriate, but I think I could have handled it better because if I asked for a hug, that sounds weird too. Mm-hmm. But these are my daughter's best friends who I love because they support one and they, another. And they care about you. And they care and, about yeah. her. And I just wanted to connect. And then we, I took them all out to dinner. And like, even that, like, should I, should I have shaken their hands instead? Well, this is it's a weird. discussion. And, and this is why this conversation is important. Don't you see how we could have this with our kids? Yeah. And they'll be like, well, what about this? And what about this? And maybe we don't have final answers. Yeah. Maybe what we have is be aware and, and this is why, okay, so I'm going to go back to my book for a second. Sorry, everybody. But the whole book is about tapping into your sense of self. Yeah. First, as a parent, who are you? Like part of, in one of the sections, the, cause at the end of every section I talk about, you know, here's some exercises you can do, not like journal exercises, but like things to consider. And one of them is what's your favorite color? Yeah. Like, do you know who you are? Mm. Do you know what you like? Do you like warm, you know, do you like summer or do you like fall? Mm. Do you like, like, if we don't know ourselves and feel what feels right to us, it's very hard to recognize red flags. Do you see what I mean? Sure. Because then everything we're going off of is societal norms and pressures. Like, for example, one of the things that tend, this is kind of old, but it it lends itself, is one of the things I learned in a self-defense class was a lot of times women get trapped in certain situations because they don't want to be rude. So they do things like get on an elevator with someone who they're like, ooh, they're feeling the red flag, but they still get on the elevator because they don't want to be rude. Yeah. They have been socialized to be nice and kind. Yeah. And they don't want to be rude. So that to talk to our kids about what kindness means versus niceness, Mm -hmm. what it means to trust yourself versus what society tells you. There are no final answers, Todd. This isn't definitive. And I know that drives parents crazy because they're like, just tell me what to do. But do you really, like there are some of your friends, um, or I'm not going to talk about friends because then people will be like, which one? Um, 
there are people I know in the world who I'd be happy to give them a hug. Sure. And there are certain people that I'm like, no thanks. No thanks. And could do they fall into a similar category? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so it's something you can feel and know, but our kids have to have that sense of self. So when we start telling our kids who to be, how to dress, what to think, what sport to be in, um, who they are, gender specifically, sexuality, when we start saying, no, 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 you are these things, not that things, this is how they lose their sense of self because they don't trust themselves anymore. Um, I just had a flashback of uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation Series, Mm -hmm. Ellen, Clark W. Griswold's wife, Mm -hmm. and Eddie. Eddie's always trying to get to like put his arm around her and or kiss, kiss her. Ellen, yeah. and she's always very escaping. escaping. Exactly, Anyways. and and we can laugh at that the Randy Quaid yeah. character and be like, well, anybody would feel that way, but it, it and we laugh because we've been there. Yeah, we all have, at least women have. You know that experience of where it's like this person who is constantly trying to be a little too close, yeah. and you feel that discomfort. Mm-hmm. So it's not, but with our kids, these conversations, so. Grooming. Okay. That's the number Check. one. Um, love bombing. Okay. This is an experience that um, that I have had where in hindsight, it was obvious and in the moment, it wasn't, which is <clears throat> excessive compliments. They want to be with you all the time. You're mm-hmm. the most important person. Overboard with expensive gifts or, you know, for me, it was like fancy dinners, you know, Broadway shows, like, you know, sky's the limit with money. They introduce you to important people. Yeah. Like, you know, here's a new group of people or you're going to love this person. Um, they say, I love you very fast. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's saying they love you in a week or two, yeah. <laughs> there's like- Warning signal. Warning signal. Like that is not, and unless you're on The Bachelor yeah. and you're Clayton and yeah. you fall in love with three people at once. Um, I'm joking, by the way. Um, they guilt trip you for having boundaries. You know, they're like, you're kind of like, yes or no. And it's like, wow, you didn't, you know, there's there's this sense of, can't you see how I'm all in? Mm-hmm. And they're going to make you feel so special yeah. that you just are like this. And if you, no one has ever made you feel that way before, or if you're lonely, or if, you know, other people are telling you, oh no, this person is great. And you just jump right in. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny, like... uh even this is nuanced because love bombing could be just loving acts of kindness, gifts, whatever, acts of service. Um, well, but it's nuanced. Notice the word bombing. Yeah. Because I have had the difference. Like right. I've been with, I've had, I've dated lots of, not a lot, but I've dated people. And then I've obviously been married to you. And there is a difference between someone loving you. Yeah. And saying, giving you compliments and someone love bombing you, where you almost can't keep up with the the things they're saying. Do you remember, um, what's his name? The good dancer, the ballet ballet dude from Sex and the City. Brishnikov? Brishnikov. And he was like reading her poetry and Uh like she just got so like tuned out to Mm -hmm. his character. And he's taking her to Paris. Right. So, but- and it turned out he was an abuser, his character in that it show. Ended up. Was that love bombing? Well, it's interesting. That's a very... Now, first of all, this is a TV character. Yeah. So we, you know, we're not seeing all the sides of this. This is a pop culture reference, everybody. But she actually questions it. Mm. Remember, she's like... she. There's an episode called The Ick Factor, mm. where he's reading her poetry and doing all... And saying all these lovely things, and she's grossed out by it. Interesting. And that was kind of her internal experience. And he basically said, listen... 
you know, later in the episode, I'm a grown man and I care about you and this is where I am in life. Yeah. And they were able to work through it. Yeah. But then, so, but her red flags were going off. Yeah. Like, but then you also look at her and say, she's been with people like Big yeah. who could never show up in this way. So she also is, is this an unwillingness to accept love? Mm -hmm. So to your point, Todd, you're right. Yeah. It is nuanced. Yeah. And but these again, this conversation, like especially for our teenagers, when they start to be in relationships, and there's like they're uh, you know boy girl, you know non-binary, you know someone that they're interested in is saying things to them, you know writing them. I was gonna say writing them notes. That's our generation. Texting them, giving them gifts, and it's over the top. Mm -hmm. We can have conversations about love bombing. Yeah, like. I know a lot of this feels really good and it may let's kind of, you know, walk this line with them, but it, it can feel excessive too. Yeah. And what's the long-term intention. Yeah. And sometimes it's helpful to have these conversations before they have these experiences. Well, and it's funny, I can see this happening. Um, let's just say a man is trying to court a woman and just love bombing. And I feel like it's with the intention of if he can give her enough stuff, then he's taking possession of her as an object. It's an like it's so again the the word bombing. It's so over the top that you are not respecting this person's boundaries. Yeah. If you are continuously texting or snapping or dropping off gifts, it may be too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, a kid or a teen or an older adult or whatever it may be may say, "Hey, I need a little space. I'm yeah. feeling a little suffocated." If that person listens then maybe they were just, you know, they just fell really fast yeah. and they didn't realize how it felt. But if they start to make you feel guilty right. for not accepting, right. that's where it gets a little into, sure. I'm trying to manipulate you or control your behavior. Yeah. So there is a fine line. Like if they make you feel guilty, um, honestly, I'm, it's so funny to have this conversation. This happened to me in, in elementary school. Mm. There was an experience I had, which you know all about because I've talked about it a lot, but where I was literally being bullied into into this is it's kind of a long story. I don't really want to get deep into it, but one of the issues was I was being given gifts mm -hmm. and I was saying, I don't really want these gifts. And it was two people and they were like, well, then it, they would call me names, make yeah. me feel bad about the fact that I didn't want it, say that that I was I was the one who's being inappropriate by not accepting it. I was in fourth grade, mm -hmm. you know? Like I didn't have the ability to deal with what was happening. And now I have language for it. But at the time, they were telling me I was wrong. And so I felt horrible. What's interesting is for my definition of a gift is something that you give without any strings. Right? Correct. There's no expectation. That's nice. I like that. So that's that. not a gift. So when those boys were giving you whatever they were giving you, I'm guessing that they thought that they were owed something Correct. as a result. That's the language. They thought they were owed something because then of it. Then that's not a gift. That's right. a transaction. Correct. That, right. that you're not even aware of. Right. They're deciding what the transaction means without even bringing you into it. Like if I give you, if I take you out to dinner, I'm going to make, I get to make out with you at the end of the dinner. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. And that's that. That's a one-sided transaction. Exactly, Anyways. an expectation. It's a very um, 
I am owed, yeah. which that's a big, you know, uh, Todd and I decided um, to watch um, Euphoria, which we've talked about on this show before, but I hadn't really watched it. And now I'm done with the, um, or actually I have one episode left in the first season and then I'll go to the second one. But I was telling my daughter, because she and I have been having talks about it, we don't watch it together. I watch it by myself and then I talk to her because she's already done. But I've been telling her how, what it feels like to me is I'm watching humans, the boys, the girls, this is, you know, all of, you know, all the genders go through trauma in real time. Mm -hmm. Again, it's pop culture, but I'm watching them traumatize themselves, be in situations where they're being traumatized, having experiences that they will be dealing with the rest of their lives. And again, it's a TV show and it's being glamorized and, you know, it's being built up, but it is that's what I'm seeing yeah. is, you know, there is like a character in the first season who decides to take control and, you know, have, she has body positivity and she's like starting to put herself on porn sites mm-hmm. and, and accept money for talking to guys online. And, and there's this feeling that she has that she's empowered, yeah. that she's somehow taking control. And I'm watching this experience that she is going to have to unlearn and, and, you know, peel back the yeah. rest of her life. But I know that there's people watching this show, especially teenagers going, look how empowered she is. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, but that's why I'm watching it. Um, so next one, Todd. Sure. Gaslighting. We've done shows about gaslighting. We've talked about it, especially with the last administration. There's a lot of gaslighting of, oh yeah, what we're doing, you're not really seeing yeah. that. That the the experience you're having, you're not really having. But the definition is a, you know, it's a covert type of emotional abuse where the bully, uh, abuser, whatever it may be, misleads the person, creating a false narrative, making them question their judgments. So it's something like, you know, one personal experience I had where was, uh, there was a person, he was yelling at me and, you know, was very upset, throwing things, angry. And then, um, later on that day when we had a discussion about it, he said, I wasn't mad. Mm-hmm. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. I wasn't mad. And I watched anger and I saw anger and I was being yelled at, but all of a sudden it got turned around where I, I saw something and he's saying, that's not what happened. Yeah. So you then start to be like, okay, um, we all know what this is now, but that's gaslighting is a big part of it. Well, and for a deeper dive, we podcast 507 is titled, What is Gaslighting? So that'll be in the show notes if you are like, oh, I think I know what that means, but I'm not sure we have a whole podcast about it. Um, and then two more words, um, actually just one more word, and then we can talk about trauma. Isolation. This is a tactic, um, is where once you have you know, brought someone in, you know, love bombed them, made them think that they're special. Then you subtly begin to isolate them from the people that they love. You start to tell them, question the people around them. Do they really care about you? Do they see you the way that I do? It's very intentional. You're you're trying to isolate this person from the people who may pull them out of the relationship. You're trying to make them question their parents. You're trying to make them question their friends. And you start to say things to them. It, 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 you know, that makes them think, oh my gosh, are these people really on my side? Are you really the only one who's on my side? It's intentional. It it keeps them, then the person who is abusing them can take complete control. I would assume that the isolation tactic happens after the grooming and the love bombing. And I know I'm connecting the dots in a way that is linear and this is not linear. It's not linear, yeah. But if you start with the isolation, it's probably not going to work well. You got to have to some get them in before you start isolating them from others. Otherwise I'll be like, I'm not going to leave my friends or whatever. And I was going to say, 
this is kind of a culty thing. Like cults are really good at this, yes, right? Yes, they are. SPs, very, suppressive, mm -hmm. suppressive person. Suppressive people. Mm -hmm. And like, and isolating you from other information. Like Correct. don't even look at um, all the bad things about the cult that I'm in because it's all lies anyways. And if you do look at it, then we will question you about it and question your loyalty. Yeah. So don't ever look at it. And this is a big part of the grooming process too, is that a lot of times people will be your friend first and they will elicit as much information about you as they can. And a lot of times you'll be very vulnerable in those. You can yawn. Mm, that's okay. Yeah. You can elicit, um, you know, you can get their vulnerable information. Like they may- And then you may, use it against And them. then you use it against them. Yeah. So that's a part of grooming too, is you try and get as much information as you can you know people's Achilles heel and you you kind of then when you are beginning to try to bring them in or, or be, have a relationship with them, you start to use those things yeah. as weapons. Yeah. And so this, so isolation, it, you're, it can happen in the grooming process or in the beginning process where they're trying to figure out how will I isolate you mm -hmm. from. So for example, if um, I'll use Evan Rachel Wood's example in Phoenix Rising, like she started talking to Marilyn Manson about her relationship with Jamie Bell and that it was on shaky ground. She would talk about her history with her parents and that when she was a child, she didn't always feel safe. And he heard that. And then as they got closer, he, he, you know, got between she and Jamie. So yeah. they broke up. And then he started talking about her parents, like suggesting that they hadn't been on the up and up with her business, you know, negotiations, things like that. Sure. And so, and then when things like that would pan out, he'd say, see, yeah. I'm the only person. Yeah. So, um, so let me say this one of, this is not a word that is specific to, um, this kind of abuse, but coddling, I want to talk about the word coddling. And it was interesting because, um, Dr. Alexandra Solomon, who's a friend of ours, who's been on the show um, a lot, she actually put up a post yesterday, I think, or today or sometime over the weekend about how parents use the word coddling. Mm. Like, I don't want to coddle my kid. Mm -hmm. And how coddling is like that, it's similar to what we talked about on last week's show, how it's our way of saying, I don't want to deal with this emotion. I don't want to coddle my kid. Mm -hmm. When, why this is important as a parent to understand is a lot of times we're just like, go deal with the world. If I help you through this, then if I talk to you about your emotions, then I'm going to make you think everybody wants to talk about emotions. It's like we use the word coddling as an out. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Well, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think I know. I When I heard you use the term coddling, for me, my interpretation of that would be, I don't, when, I don't want to coddle my kids the way I would kind of reinterpret that would be, I don't want to make it too easy for my kids. Correct. That, and I'm sorry if I wasn't saying that the best way. Let me, um, let me read um, Allie's words sure. because she was really good at writing this out. So this is from Dr. Salomon. She said, I hate the word coddling, truly. You will never hear me use it to describe a dynamic. These parents, she put this in quotes, these parents are coddling their child. Nope. It's a word we use to justify the withholding of empathy under the ridiculous notion that tenderness breeds weakness. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> no, she said that so beautiful. I didn't say that well at all. Um, and then she said, in reality, and this is, we all know this, if you listen to our show, validation and empathy help people feel their way into their full humanity. Empathy and validation are far more effective motivators for change than shame and humiliation. Mm -hmm. We actually know specifically from Brene Brown's research, but she obviously took this from a lot of other people's research, shame does not help people change their behavior. Right. It doesn't, it actually gets them more stuck. Sure. Validation 
um, compassion, especially t- helping children practice self-compassion, that's what allows them to change their behaviors because they see a light. Yeah. They're like, oh, wait a second. There's another way through versus shame is who are you? What's wrong with you? Where you're like, I see no way out of this. Right. So coddling is, is it's a cop-out mm-hmm. as a parent to yeah. be like, I'm, kids are being coddled these days. It's okay to talk to kids about their feelings. Yeah. It's okay to talk to them about their pain or about what they want. And it doesn't mean they always get it. This is something we don't understand is we think if we listen then we owe it. My kids share with me a lot of things like, I think this should happen. This is what I want to do. This is what I think should happen. And sometimes I'm on board and sometimes I'm like, well, we can do part of that mm-hmm. or not yet. Yeah. But uh, you know, uh, what I used to love to say when they were little is I'd say, yes, but not now. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like, I love your idea, but you need about two year, two more years on you. Yeah. You know? Um, and so coddling why this is important is if we don't give our children these opportunities to share and be validated, again, it goes back to what we talked about on last week's show. Can't you see how somebody else can come in? Sure. And take that and place. And take that place. In a very manipulative manner. Thank you. Um, as we get ready to close the show, uh-huh. and I feel like this probably belonged in last week's podcast, but the idea of trauma and Evan Rachel Wood's... Um, you know, her inspiration is try to get the laws changed. Correct. Because the law is something ridiculous, like one to three years. After the statute of limitations is one to three years. Right. And to bring a, a charge. Right. Mm-hmm. And how, when somebody gets traumatized with this type of abuse, it takes a long time for long them time. to be able to admit it to themselves, much less admit it to a law enforcement official. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to bring that up and, and help. Because there's such a a a objective, non-compassionate part of me is like, oh, if it happens, you just call the cops, or you, and that's not the way this works. That's from a a very delusional place. Mm-hmm. Trauma is messy, m- messy and challenging and painful, painful, mm-hmm. and for us to expect any survivor of any type of abuse. To be able to like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm because one is they're afraid for their life because if they say something, the abuser might come back and enact more harm. Exactly. And then secondly, even if there is no threat of future harm, to even be open enough to share that, I will I don't think I'll ever understand how hard that is. But I'm guessing it's really, really, really hard. And once you've shared, you are being forced to share it again and and again again. and again and again because every new group of people needs to hear it. Every deposition needs to have it. Every interview needs to hear it too. So this is actually from Evan Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, She says – or this this part isn't – that trauma is messy, idiosyncratic, mutable. You know, it it changes. It's constantly changing. And someone's ability to see clearly – like, so – Trauma is a slow process of like recognizing it over time. Like sometimes we don't know, like there are so many adults who look back on a childhood experience. It's been 20 years and they're like, oh, that was highly traumatic. Well, two weeks ago, we played a clip from Gabor Monte's documentary. And what I learned from that documentary was that trauma is not typically the thing that happens to you, it's what you do with it inside of yourself. And this goes back to exactly so... Think about it this way. Something really difficult happens to you. You are in pain. You are, you know, devastated. 
And the meaning that you give the to meaning. It. So part of it is the meaning you give it, but it's also what happens next. Mm-hmm. Does someone hear you? Does someone believe you? Does someone allow you to share it? Does someone comfort you, validate you? Then that allows that to, it doesn't mean it's all gone and you're fine. It just releases and doesn't become this shameful thing that you keep inside of yeah. you. And so then that's where the meaning is built. Yeah. Then you start to say, I feel gross. I feel dirty. I feel horrible. I feel like it's my fault. I feel ashamed. And then that shame keeps you from ever speaking it. Mm-hmm. And so shame is like this this really... Um, paradoxical thing where the only way to release yourself of shame is to speak it, but shame's greatest power is it won't allow you to speak it. So it's a very difficult thing. But so this is a quote from Evan Rachel Wood. She says, people underestimate the power of that kind of trauma and what it does to your body and brain. She said this on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. This is what the laws do not reflect, the effects of trauma on the brain and what it does and what you know, she was talking specifically about how she disassociated. Mm-hmm. She was being, um, she was being tra- uh, tortured by Marilyn Manson, and you know, allegedly, you know, the, her. I, we have to say that mm-hmm. just because that's sure. part of the law. Um, and she was telling her story, and she said she remembers the disassociation, how she became out of body. And how it then didn't hurt as much and how she was able to like separate mind and body and how when she woke up the next day, she was a different person. She's like, I was completely different. And this is what we talk about separating mind and body and how that can harm us. And this is what children always say is disassociation is where you just something happens to you or something's happening to your body and you literally remove yourself from it because your brain can't tolerate and handle what's happening to you. And if those pieces are not put back together, then that trauma puts itself somewhere in your brain and body and and a lot of your behavior and belief about yourself is stemming from those places. If it's not, if it's not, how do I want to say this? talked about if it's not reconciled, if it's not revealed, um, the process of healing. Um, So these are big topics you and I are talking about, but I see all the connections in our parenting and the way we relate to ourselves in understanding our own trauma, in how we talk to our kids about keeping, staying, maintaining their sense of self. Um, talking to them about red flags and what that means in the body and then trusting and believing our kids and then how we relate to the outside world. You know, there's been a, with the Me Too movement and Time's Up and, you know, with a lot of stories that have been brought forward about people surviving this kind of abuse, question yourself when you don't believe. Mm -hmm. And you may say something like, but they lied about this piece of paper or they didn't submit this on time or... They should have come forward earlier and recognize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're not right about those pieces of information, but does that disregard yeah. all of the other things that you're hearing? Yeah. Or is that a convenient way out of believing that this situation occurred? Yeah, and what I hear you saying is just do some self-inquiry. When you have these judgments or recognitions, is um, that's us doing our work. It is. It is. So, um, okay. So in closing, I want to promote Kathy's book called Zen Parenting, uh, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. Here it is. You can get it uh, on our website. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere books are sold. For those of you watching. Yes. Uh, um, And you have an audio book. You have an audio version of that as well. Yeah, Kindle, audio book, you know, Audible, and then paperback. 
And um, Team Zen, it's a community of like-minded parents. We talk to every two weeks. We challenge and support each other. We have a Facebook page where we're always uh, hitting each other up. You and I actually just answered a question that was kind of a... We wanted to give it its due, so it was about screen technology. Yeah, because the two way that we, two ways that we talk about things that people are asking us is one way is we have a Team Zen talk twice a month, and we people ask questions and we discuss it. <coughs> Excuse me, um, while we're all there together, and then sometimes people write questions on the Facebook page, and we answer by typing. But sometimes the questions on the Facebook page necessitate more conversation too. Yeah, right. They're coffee <laughs> copper. I don't know why I'm choking. Um, and I also want to just plug, uh, men living. It's a virtual and in-person community of guys connecting deeply and living fully. Just show up. Uh, we have a special guest and this is open to all genders. Uh, Kim Redding, who's a friend of mine. Uh, he's going to talk about his experience with infidelity and shame. And I hope that as many, um, all genders, uh, show up. It's going to be just a discussion between Kim and I, but people are welcome to ask questions. And that's on Thursday, April 7th. How do people register for that? Um, it is on the show notes to this, or you can go to the calendar uh, on menliving.org. And then finally, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. 630-956-1800. Uh, give Jeremy a call if you have any upcoming home improvement projects thank you for listening for the, to this two-part podcast about um trauma and abuse and red flags and sense of self and connection to our kids and validation and all of these wonderful things that we hope to bring out into the open so we can um take care of ourselves and take care of the ones we love keep tracking everybody Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.